in Ohio. I don't know a whole lot about him, although I was told that he had a slight drinking problem at one time. And would you help me welcome Milt L. from Cleveland? Oh, dear God, <clears throat> use me today as an instrument of your mercy and of your peace and allow me to help someone in this room tonight. My name is Milton, and I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> I'm a member of the Newberg Group, and I'm as it was and is in my life. Uh, but before I do that, I would like to uh, congratulate this, uh, this club on a year's anniversary of being in business, you know. That's, uh, that's right. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You know, I'm one who believes that uh, any uh, any group can stay in business as long as they serve God and their fellow man. It's when they start to serve themselves that they devour themselves and cease to exist. And you got a good start at a running year and you can go on. You can just go on as long as you serve God and your fellow man. Now, that's just how I look at it. I would like to uh, thank uh, I would like to uh, thank the uh, people for asking me to come here and uh, and uh, and uh, the two girls that picked me up and uh, and showed me around and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, the dinner, the nice dinner and a uh, nice room and uh, and uh, my mom for not believing in abortion. I uh, uh, <coughs> a big uh, uh, so good to see so many old friends and a big piece of my heart is in Cincinnati, you know. I, I'm so glad to be here and, and see so many, you know. It, it doesn't make no sense that you would uh, that you would ask me to come down here and do this, you know. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a public speaker. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I, I ain't got good English or uh, good grammar. I ain't uh, well educated. I, uh, I, uh, and I, I, I don't even know a lot about the big book. I mean, hell, I must not. I still keep reading it. I, uh, <laughs> so... So it doesn't make no sense that you would ask me to come down here if it wasn't for one, uh, just one thing, one small thing, and that is in 1970, or, or maybe it was 1971. It could have been 1972. But whatever year it was that I found out God had something to do with my not drinking, I made a deal. <laughs> I made a deal with God. And the deal is simple. You keep me sober and I'll tell everybody how I do that. See, I... I uh, <laughs> The fact that I made that deal sitting in the penitentiary up in, uh, in Ohio is what makes it so, so wonderful. It's just, uh, I mean, who would have thought, you know, who would have thought uh, uh, that uh, that someday I would have old friends down here and keep coming back and visiting and love here and, 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 and so many things. Who would have thought it? I could have never thought that sitting in that cell. But he kept his bargain all these years and I kept my end of it. And it's no simpler than that. If I could have made a list, if they would have said to me, here, make a list of what you want out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Take, make a, tell us what you want out of life and we'll fulfill it. And if I would have wrote that list, I'd have cheated myself the first year I was in AA. I mean, when I turn my will and my life over to care of God, He can do things with me that in my tiny brain I can't even fathom a human being could have. There is absolutely no way in the world I can visualize what God has in store for me. And all I got to do is continue to serve Him. That's all I got to do. That's all I got to do. You know, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was always a little bit different. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, my brothers would be, my brother would be playing polkas on the accordion and I'd be listening to jazz. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'd be wearing high top Buster Brown shoes with white socks and I'd be wearing shine stetsers with, 
with, uh, with uh, knee-high band on socks. I was, uh, I was uh, exciting. <laughs> I was an exciting guy, and, and maybe I still am. I, 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 I can remember my brothers, my whole family would be getting up at six to go to work, and I'd, I'd just be getting home. I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I took advantage of it all. I mean, I didn't waste any of my youth on growing up. I blew it all. I, I. <laughs> I, who'd have thought I lived to be this old, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I drank every drink there was to drink. I fought every fight there was to fight. I, I danced every dance there was to dance. I was exciting, you know. I, hell, I've been shot seven times and none of them drive by. None of them drive by. I, I always gave me an option. Move, I'll shoot. I wonder. <laughs> so... So you got to imagine, you got to imagine what a shock it was for me to find myself in the middle of January in 1970 at three o'clock in the morning with my head down on the bar, uh, and the bar was closed, and 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 uh, and I hadn't taken a bath in a couple of weeks, I hadn't changed my clothes in a couple of weeks, I was wetting my pants, and I wasn't eating meals. You 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 got to imagine what a shock that was for me. See, because I was the captain of my own ship. I always ran my own life. Uh, it was never nobody's fault. I did what I wanted to do, and I paid the consequences for that action. Whatever the consequences were, no wine. And I wanted to put... Will, uh, uh, sissies, I... I, I <laughs> whatever it is, come on with it. Sure, sure, but this wasn't in the plan, you see. This wasn't in the plan, laying on that bar like a like a bar rag. <laughs> not a dangerous guy. <laughs> not an exciting guy. Not a funny guy. I, it's this. I couldn't fathom how this happened to me. I couldn't understand laying on that bar at three o'clock in the morning and all alone. Everybody's gone. They locked the joint up. I, I couldn't figure out how this happened. It didn't make no sense. And I tell you what, I loathed myself for that condition I was in, and I didn't and I didn't want it to happen. I couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. This was not in the plan. I, I was laying on that bar and I and I and I started hearing this. Uh, uh, somebody was pounding on the door. They're trying to get in the joint. They're pounding on the door and 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 I and I got up off of that bar and I opened up the door and I popped the guy on the other side of that door and uh, and uh, he was unconscious when he bounced off the wall. You know, his uh, his eyes was rolled back in his head, but I just kept working him and working him and working him. When I got to Tired, I couldn't work him anymore. He dropped like a sack of potatoes and I put the boots to him. And I kicked him right from the sidewalk and broke his ribs and I kicked him out into the street and left him laying in the sewer, in the, in the, in the gutter where the sewer water and the slush and the snow was laying. And, and I looked down at this guy and I'll tell you something, I didn't know this guy. I don't know why I did what I just did. I, cause I hated no one more than I hated myself. I, I despised no one more than I despised me for my own weakness. And and yet I, I maybe I'm going crazy, you know. I don't know what's the matter with me. I don't know why I just did this. And and I looked down at this guy and I said, I, I'm I'm sorry. I don't know why I did that. And they uh they put me in jail. <laughs> <laughs> now now here's what I'm going to tell you about jail. <laughs> I jailed well. I did excellent in jail. <laughs> I didn't do well anywhere else, but I did good in jail. Did good in jail. So they put me in this cell and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and they left me. They left me all alone, uh, cause they was mad at me. 
Oh, and they and they wouldn't charge me because if they charged me, they'd have to bond me. So they they held me on a suspicion charge so that they wouldn't have to bond me. And they didn't know if this guy was going to live or die. He was in a coma, and and uh, and uh, and and, uh, and they left me there and, and without uh, a charge because I really they were mad at me. And uh, and uh, and and for three days they left me in that cell, and, they, and for three days they didn't bring me no coffee and donuts for breakfast because they was mad at me. And for three days they didn't bring me no coffee and and, and bologna sandwiches for lunch because uh, they was mad at me. And for three days they didn't bring me no coffee and salami sandwiches, the kind with the tiny little seeds in it, for dinner because they was mad at me. But I sobered up. <laughs> I mean, three days without whiskey. <laughs> uh, I don't know where they get some of this 30, 60, 90, 200 years in, in detox. I, I don't know. I, I, uh, three days without whiskey and I'm about as sober as I'm going to get. And it didn't cost me $18,000. So, so, so I say this to you. If there's anybody in this room who knows somebody who really wants to get sober, if you know somebody who really don't want to drink no more and he ain't got 18 grand and he ain't got hospitalization, I say punch a cop. <laughs> and I tell you it was a cop. Oh, yeah, yeah. They'll sober you up. <laughs> oh, they'll warm you up, but they'll sober you up nonetheless. So now I'm sitting in this cell and I'm sober. See, I'm sober. And, uh, and I make a decision not to drink no more because alcohol's a problem. Now, uh, this is a good decision. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you this. See, I'll give you this, that, that I come off whiskey hard. I'll give you that. I ain't got no trouble with that. When I, when you, uh, this, this is the middle of January 70. I started drinking in 69 in November. I would get on these benders, I would get on these drunks, and, and this was just one of them drunks, and it was by no means the longest one I'd ever been on, but I, I, I come off whiskey hard. I mean, after a, after a half a day without drinking, and, 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 and you throw up everything, you just throw up everything, and, and, and when you get done throwing up everything you can throw up, uh, which isn't much, because I ain't been eating nothing but Smokies and, uh, and chips uh, for a long time. <laughs> I would put ketchup on that, you know. That's the breakfast of champions. <laughs> Had a lot of important food groups in that in that uh, category, and uh, and uh, and uh, and then when I would get done with these throwing up business, I'd get to runs. I'd get to runs, and 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 sometimes I would get to runs and the he's, and then you'd have to be doing like this, and uh, <laughs> and sometimes you would guess wrong. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, this is this is. I mean, I know this isn't in the in the in the in the, uh, the Minnesota directory on how to dry up, but this is how alcoholics come off a of whiskey. It's just like that, uh, Hazelden. I mean, I mean, I know this. And uh, and when I would get these runs in the season, then I would get into the worst part. And, and this is the part I always hated was them was them dry heaves. Now you already got these here. You know, you already got these. These heebie-jeebies and the sweats and the, and and then you and then you would start. You know, I could really ratch for about 45 minutes on a sip of water, just a sip of water, and it seemed like my whole body would convulse. I mean, it was just like everything just got into this kind of business, and and there ain't nothing coming up. Not some bile, some green. Sometimes it would be foamy stuff, but but. Uh, once in a while, a couple of chunks, but I always thought those were important body parts. I, I, liver or something, I always was worried about that. But I'm sober. But I'm sober, and now I make a decision not to drink no more. And this is a good decision. I, I, uh, I, uh, 
and I don't make this decision because of the jail. And I don't make this decision because of beatings or shootings or stabbings or emergency rooms because all of that. I make this decision because I lost control of my life, see. I lost control of my life. And now I'm sober and I realize alcohol is a problem and, and I ain't going to drink no more. It's as simple as that. See, the big book says something like this. It says, uh, it says, uh, being convinced of, of A, B, and C. A, we're alcoholic and our, and our lives are unmanageable. There'll be no human power could have restored alcoholism and C, God could have would if he were sought. Now I'm sitting in the cell and I'm telling you I am absolutely convinced of A. There is no doubt in my mind that I don't know what an alcoholic is, but I know this, that I don't want to drink no more. That's for sure. And I know my life is in this kind of condition. So I don't want to drink no more. B, that no human power could have relieved my alcoholism. I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I, I, all I got to do is want to stop drinking. So now I want to stop drinking. And it's as simple as that, ain't it? It's as simple as that. I don't need an evaluation from a counselor to find out about A, B, and C. That's what whiskey's for. That's, that's what teaches you about A, B, and C. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so now I, now I, now I got, I step out of that cell and I, I mean, I'm in this cell and I make a decision to start drinking and I drop a little plan, a little plan, a game plan, a game plan. And the plan is simple, you know, and it's not a plan to stay sober because sober's a given. Sober's a given. I'm not going to drink no more because I said so. <laughs> Somewhere in this book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, whiskey is a great persuader. <laughs> It ain't done persuading me, but I'm getting ready. I'm going to get back in the ring pretty soon over here with this whiskey. But I ain't going to drink no more because I said so. So I drop a little plan, and the plan is simple because I need something to do with my spare time. I'm going to get a job and go to work every day. That's two different things, getting a job and going to work every day. I mean, right, Bob? Hey, Bob, right? That's right. It's the two different things between getting a job and going to work every day. Sandy? So I'm going to get a job and go to work every day. I'm sitting in the cell and I think of some of these guys I drink with and some of these guys are big boozers. I mean, they're really heavy hitters. And they would get married and their whole lives would change. You know what I mean? I mean, they would get houses, cars, kids, jobs, two family homes, rental income. I mean, all kinds of stuff. That stuff would happen to them. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe this is what I should do. It's a joke. It's a joke. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take care of a gerbil. How could I possibly take care of a relationship that's a man's attention? <laughs> I have cactus plants that die a lack of water. I, because I'm selfish and self-centered. I'm selfish and self-centered. You know, I, uh, I, uh, I, I'm sitting in this cell and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about this neighbor. I got a Polak neighbor. This guy, uh, this guy loves to go bowling. He goes bowling four or five times a week. A week during league season. It's some kind of Polish thing. I don't know what it is. What time does the dance start? Take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs> the 
This guy goes bowling four or five times a week sometimes. You know what I'm trying to say to you? This guy loves bowling. And I'm sitting in the cell and I'm thinking to myself, I never see the cops go to this guy's house. Never see him go to this guy's house. I'm thinking to myself, I never see this guy throw his furniture out of his windows. And I throw my furniture out of my windows sometimes. But it's, I have good reason. So I'm sitting in the cell and I think to myself, maybe I'll go bowling. Now, I tell you this for two reasons. And the first reason is this, is that when I went to Newburgh, when I went to my home group, they told me that the greatest thing we can do to serve our fellow man is to set a good example. They said the power of example is the greatest thing we can do to serve them. You know, there's no way in the world that Polak could ever imagine me sitting back watching him going to run my life the way he runs his life. There's no way in the world he could fathom that. And I'm telling you this. You don't know who's watching you. I'm telling you this. You don't know who's got their eye on you. And you don't know who's going to say, I want, to want, that, I want what that guy got. I'm going to do what that guy does. The power of example. You don't know who's going to do that. You just don't know. So the greatest thing we can do to serve our fellow men in this power is to set a good example. You know, I was out, I was sober a couple of years. I was, uh, I was, uh, I used to give driving lessons. I was up in the Heights, going to give this Italian guy some driving lessons. I had a pickaxe handle in my hand. I was walking over to his car, because he had cut me off. <laughs> As I was going to his car, here comes a carload of MAAs, you know. Did you ever notice how they show up sometimes? There's a carload of MAAs, and I seen these guys, and I put that pickaxe handle behind my leg. Whoa, easy does it. Whoa. <laughs> oh, it's amazing when I think people are watching how my actions change. I don't know if I thought, if I, thought I was invisible or didn't care or what. I don't know what it is. And, 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 and the second reason I tell you this story, because I hated bowling. I just hated it. Much as I hated work. <laughs> Right, Bam? <laughs> so, so when I tell you that I have a desire to stay sober, when I tell you I have a desire, it's a sincere desire, and I have a willingness to do anything I gotta do in order not to drink no more. And that's not with my lips. That's with my actions. My actions have proved to me that I don't wanna drink no more. I'll do anything I gotta do in order not to drink no more. I got a plan and I'm gonna follow the plan even if it's I don't like the, the things that I gotta do. And I did everything I said I was gonna do. I got out of that jail cell and I got a job and I went to work every day and I assumed responsibility and I stole a bowling ball. I followed the plans right through the thing. Did everything. You know, I think I would spend good money on something stupid like that, dude. <laughs> All right, all right. I'll give you this. <laughs> I had no idea how to live sober. <laughs> I had no, I had no idea what to, what to do. What to, I had no idea what to do. I mean, I was, uh, I was like, uh, like, uh, you go to the zoo. You got a zoo in Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati is a zoo. Go, just go, go, go down the Vine Street. Go down, go. Down. <laughs> Go to the zoo. Go to where they keep the cats. Watch the tigers. Watch the tigers. You'll see these tigers are like this, you know, in that cage. They ain't happy tigers. These tigers are restless, irritable, and discontented. That's exactly what they are. And that's exactly what I was. I was a restless, irritable, and awfully upset. <laughs> but I was sober. I was sober. I got a line in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, uh, it says, uh, page 99. 
Wait. 143. Uh, wait, wait. 64. 64. You know what? Maybe this line ain't even in the big book. Really? Really? What if you ain't read the big book? You, you don't can't call me a liar because you don't know nothing. You see? But here's the line out of the big book. It says, those who say sobriety is enough is unthinking. <laughs> That's minimizing. That's minimizing. But I'm sober and that's all that counts. Now I'm sober a month and I got a job and I go to work every day. It means I get a paycheck. I get a paycheck and I ain't drinking. I buy a shirt and, a, and a, some pants and some hush puppy shoes. I got a car. I, I mean, things are working for me. You know what I'm trying to say? Things are happening for me. I, it's like all these years I had been a little, a little bud. And now it's opening up into a beautiful flower. You know what I'm trying to say? But the problem with that is, is that I'm doing something about my relationships and my finances and my and my work and, and, and my wardrobe, but I ain't doing nothing about the biggest problem I got and it's called alcoholism. Doing nothing at all about that. And that's like that's like that's like putting a tuxedo on a pig. You understand that? I'm all dressed up out here and ain't nothing changed on the inside. And it is really that simple for a guy like me. And the very nature of the disease of alcoholism is to drink. That's the nature of the disease. Now, I don't want to get into a controversy, but it's, it's almost like a fact that you can't get alcoholism any other way but from drinking. I, 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 know, this sounds, I know this sounds like contradictory or something, but I... What are they going to do, beat me up? <laughs> That's the very nature of the disease. So I was sober a month, and, 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 and it was a Sunday night, and I remember it well, and the guys pulled up in front of the house and honked a horn. Yo, don't go for a ride. Sure, don't go for a ride. I'll be back. We got in the car, I mean, the guys were driving around doing what guys do, you know, smoking, talking dirty. You know what? We're just having a good time. These guys stop and get a six-pack of beer. Now, I gotta tell you this, this, this is Sunday, this is a blue law back then. It was nothing but 3-2 beer. You couldn't buy real hard whiskey and you couldn't buy real beer. All you could get was this stuff that they called 3-2 beer was not like even real beer. You know what I'm trying to say? It's like, uh, it's like that stuff they got now. What's that called? Near beer, uh, or, or, what is it? N.A. or Duels, uh, what's the other one? Sharks, it's like that stuff. It's not, it's not real beer. You know what I mean? <laughs> I sponsor a guy named Johnny O'Doul's, you know, cause oh, he likes to hit that it's not real beer stuff. Eh, you could be right. I mean, could you see a junkie hitting bacon soda? <laughs> not real dope. Who are you fooling? You're fooling me. You ain't fooling me. What <laughs> you? So you got the idea is that they offer me one of these three, two beers. Now, I'm telling you something. I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. There's nothing inside me that makes me want to drink. But I am an alcoholic, and I'm doing nothing about my alcoholism. And there are times as an alcoholic in the chronic and progressed stages of alcoholism that I cannot recall the pain or promise of a day or a week a month ago. There are times as an alcoholic in the chronic and progressed stages where I cannot with enough force with enough force to say no to that drink because I'm an alcoholic and it's as simple as that. And they offered me a beer and I took the beer. Now I know what you're saying to yourself. <laughs> you're saying to yourself, if that's true, if that's true, then how can this guy be as sober as long as he's sober? Well, the fact of the matter is this. I ain't cured. 
The fact of the matter is this, is that I have a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. That's how I can stay sober as long as I'm sober. And in 1970, I had no spiritual condition, hence I got drunk. And in 1994, I have a spiritual condition, hence I remain sober. It's as really as simple as that. And if that's true, and it is, then when I get up in the morning and I got to make a decision on what I got to do, I got to get to the to the grocery store, I got to get to the dry cleaners, I got to get to the school, I got to do this, I got to do that, or I got to say my prayers. What do you think I do? Absolutely. Absolutely. It would make more sense for me to leave my house without my pants than it would for me to leave my house without my prayers. And I'll get in more trouble without my prayers. See, I might be dumb, but I ain't stupid. You know what I'm saying? You know all them Polak jokes they tell? They're all true. But, but, but I'm smart enough to say my prayers. I know which side my bread is buttered on. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. But they don't have no spiritual condition at that time to maintain. So they offer me a drink and I take the drink. And I take the drink for no other reason except that I'm an alcoholic in the chronic and progressed stages of alcoholism. No other reason. You'd be absolutely amazed. Well, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you wouldn't. At the amount of people in this room that are sitting here thinking they can cure alcoholism by going to meetings. You'd be amazed. Be amazed. <laughs> they offer me a drink, I take the drink, and the drink takes the man. That's how simple it is for me. When I take a drink, the drink takes the drink, and the drink takes the man. When I take a drink, I'm no longer in control of my life. When I take a drink, I have turned my will and my life over to care of alcohol. It's as simple as that. It's nothing fancy about that. It's not even an intelligent approach. I take that bottle of beer down and we and 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 and, and we're driving over the bridge over by 55th Street just before Broadway. I roll that window down and I reach out with that empty bottle and I slap some girl with it who's standing there hitchhiking. And I'll tell you this: if you would have told me five minutes before I drank that beer that in a very short time I'm going to seriously injure an innocent party, I would have said to you, "What do you think I am, some kind of animal?" And yet you give me a drink. And I will hurt someone. I will always hurt me. But I will hurt someone. Now what these guys, see, I'm with these guys. And these guys are looking at me like I got two heads <laughs> on my shoulders. They're looking at me like, what the, what is the, what? <laughs> oh, I didn't say it. They, <laughs> I ain't from California. They, <laughs> See, I'm going to tell you something. There's nowhere to hide in a bottle of beer. Want to know something? There's nowhere to hide in a bottle of beer. I don't like me. I don't like what I just did, and I can't hide in a bottle. You give me a fifth of whiskey. Uh-oh. That's her fault. <laughs> Shouldn't have been in my neighborhood. <laughs> or, or the worst line I wish I'd have never learned, I don't care. Of course I care. Of course I care. Of course I do. I'll tell you what I want to do. What I want to do now, because I feel so bad, is I want to go home. <laughs> I want to go home and I want somebody to hold me. 
I want somebody to stroke me. I want someone to say, it's okay, baby, mama got you and nobody's going to hurt you. But I'm an alcoholic. And I made the fatal mistake of taking the first drink. And the main symptom of alcoholism is called the phenomenon craving. You see, when they drink, they don't get the phenomenon of craving. When you and I drink, we get it. It's an allergy. It's a physical thing that I don't want. I don't know I got. It's just something I got, and that's the way it is. Does that make sense to you? The best, the absolute best, the best uh, uh, story I have ever heard uh, of the disease concept of alcoholism was a guy named Dave Barge, lives in Los Angeles. He was leading a conference, and this is the story the guy told. He was 22 years old, 22 years old, married, had five kids. This is a busy guy, 22 years old. This is a busy guy. Who's one of them? Uh, one of them Hekins, you know, busy guys. <laughs> they will beat me up. Busy guy. This guy's 22 years old. Got five married. Got five kids. He's got his own business. He's a contractor. Does drywall. Things are breaking for him like nobody's business. Everything's in his favor. Everything. His, his wife says to him, go to the store, go to the store and give me a gallon of milk a loaf of bread and a dozen eggs. And of course he's happy to do that. This guy is happy with the way his life is going. He goes to the store, he gets a gallon of milk a loaf of bread and a dozen eggs. He's walking over to the store and he thinks to himself, I'll stop and get a beer. When he comes to, he's in Kansas. <laughs> and you know what he got in his hand? Gallon of milk a loaf of bread and a dozen eggs. This guy wants to be a husband and he wants to be a father. He ain't drinking to overcome hard times, bad times, no times, good times. He's drinking because he's an alcoholic and he's trying to overcome the craving. The craving. The craving. And that's alcoholism for a guy like me. The craving. I want to go home now. These guys go home, they go home. I got to take the, fa the fatal mistake, the first drink, I don't go home, I keep drinking. I keep drinking and I don't go home for supper and I don't go home for breakfast and I don't go to work and I don't do nothing. And now it's Monday afternoon and I'm laying on the bathroom floor. And I ain't laying on the bathroom floor because it's fragrant. I'm laying on the bathroom floor because it's convenient. And it's also cool. Yes? Damn right. Damn right. I've often wondered why he never made a toilet with a pull-down headrest. This would be a good thing for some of us. Damn right. I'm laying on the bathroom floor and I'm recanting the events of the previous evening. <laughs> that means I'm asking myself, what the hell happened? What the? I mean, there was nobody more surprised I got drunk than me. Nobody! Couldn't believe I got drunk! Now I want to point this out to you right here. This is the beginning of the crack and the power that I had in myself. This is the beginning of the crack in my self-confidence. This is the beginning of the crack where I believe I can do anything I want to do. All I got to do is want to do it. 
because I, well, I don't want to drink no more. I want to stay sober, and I got drunk. And I'm laying there, and I'm going over the events. I'm sitting at home. Everything's good so far. These guys come. This is okay. We're driving around. This is all right. These guys stop and get us. See, I'm going over this in my mind, and you know what? Just a tiny little amount to think. Just a little thinking, and I realize what the problem is. Just a little thinking, and I realize what the problem has been all along. All I got to do is just a little thinking, and I realize possibly for the first time that my drinking is their fault. I said the beginning of the crack. <laughs> if that's true, that my drinking is their fault, then I'm not going to hang around with these guys. <laughs> and this is a good decision. See, I have a sincere desire to stay sober. This is a good decision because these are not nice guys, first of all. My mom told me when I was 14 years old, she said, Nelly, don't hang around with those guys. They're going to get you in trouble. By the time I was 17, my mom was telling them, guys, don't hang around with my son. He's going to get you in trouble. She knew the truth, but it didn't stop her from loving me. <laughs> but she knew the truth. I'm not going to hang around with these guys. You want to know one of the nice things about working a fourth step? This is really not the only nice thing, but one of the nice things that I found out, that if my drinking is their problem, I will die a drunk. I found out that if my happiness depends upon you, I will remain unhappy for eternity. I have found out that if you, you are the source of my anger, I will be an angry man till the day that I die. You know what I found out when I worked in inventory in that fifth column where it says my wrongs and put them little tags on them? You know what I found out? That I create 95% of my own trouble. That's what I found out. And I'll tell you what else I found out. That if I continue with the rest of this program and continue to grow spiritually, continue to work a 10th and 11th step on a daily basis, I am 95% trouble free. And that is a good deal for a guy like me because I am not a victim. I'm a perpetrator. That's fact. That's fact. I'm a perpetrator. You better believe it. And I'll tell you what else that means to me. That means that I can live my life in a manner I've never lived it before. I'm as happy as a sissy in Boys Town. I have never had it as good as I got it today. That's fact. 95% trouble free. Cause I don't, and I'll tell you about the other 5%. <laughs> I have a power. I have an, a power that enables me to match calamity with serenity. So when that 5% comes down the tubes, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Car wrecks, somebody hits you, it's a kid, heart attack, daughter, well, I don't care what it is, that 5% don't knock me out of the box. And it's going to happen, the 5% going to, don't knock me out of the box. So when I get up in the morning and I kneel down and I do, and I say my prayers and I do, and I do that meditation like it says, remove me of the things in that 11 step that stand in your way of my serving you, and I do. And then I read those little books and I put my mind in the frame of service to this God and his fellow man. When I get up off that floor and I look at the world, I say, come on with it. Come on with it. What do you want for me? You come on with it. What are you going to give me? What are you going to do to me? Me and God can't handle it. That's fact. That's fact. This is really simple. You know, this is a, this is a, I have a revolutionary new approach to Alcoholics Anonymous. Not here in Ohio. This is this and other places. They never even heard of this approach. It's called follow the directions. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is a new thing. This is a new thing. So 
quoting any guidelines, maps, surveys, nothing. This is just, it was just follow the directions that are in this book. It's called the dumb guy approach to alcoholics and It's just a dumb guy thing. You know what I mean? If the book says to read, what do I do? If it says to write, what do I do? If it says to make a decision, what do I do? Dumb guy. Just a dumb guy. Okay, that's what it says to do, and I'll do that. You know, I was in a joint. I was operating a buffer in a joint. And I had a helper, a new guy, rookie. The ink was still wet on this guy's number. I'm working this buffer. We're doing the buffer. Bleem, bam, bam, the buffer dies. on <laughs> I tell the guy, I said, man, you know what? We're out of buffer gas. You've got to go down and get me some buffer gas. And I give this guy a five-gallon stainless steel pail. And I tell him to go see Jack Rohall in the pharmacy and get a bucket of buffer gas. So he walks through the penitentiary with this stainless steel bucket, goes to Rohall in the pharmacy. Rohall said, man, we don't have no buffer gas in the pharmacy, but you go see Tommy Oler in the laundry. So now he walks back through the penitentiary with this stainless steel bucket in his hand. <clears throat> he goes to see Tommy Oler, says, I need a bucket of buffer gas. Oler said, just ran out. But if you go see Dago in the kitchen, he'll give you some. So he walks through the penitentiary with this stainless steel bucket in his hand. He goes to see Dago in the kitchen, tells Dago he needs a bucket of buffer gas. Dago said, man, you got to go see Captain Geiger and take this note. So now he's got the bucket in one hand and the note in the other, and he's walking through the penitentiary again. And he goes to Captain Geiger's office, and he says, I need a bucket of buffer gas. And you already know what Captain Geiger said. Get up! Get out of here, you stupid thing with an electric buffer! Get out of here! And that's what we did to him. We laughed at him. And you want to know why? Because he followed directions. I come in Alcoholics Anonymous and what's one of the first issues of orders they give me? <laughs> Follow directions. What do you think I am? I just come from Norwood? I've been around, man. You, you can't whip this stuff on me. I've been around. I know my way around. Follow directions. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. Before I could work a third step, before I could do a third step prayer, before I could turn my will and life over to care of God as I understand Him, I had to step from the bridge of reason to the shore of faith. I had to let go of old ideas. I had to let go of what I knew. It took a chance that you guys were right. And that's called faith. That's called faith. Oh, not a great big faith. Just a tiny little faith. A childlike faith. You know what I mean? Just a simple little childlike faith. My daughter was a couple of years old, four years old, five years old, three years old. I don't know what. We were having some kind of birthday party for her. She was running down the sidewalk. She was running down the sidewalk and she fell down and she skinned her knee. And she laid out there screaming, kicking, crying, fussing. You know how women do. They go, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> You kiss it? <laughs> So finally, so finally I got, went outside and I picked that little girl up. You should see her today. She's 17. She got legs up to here. She got hair down to here. She got a, man, she is just a real, she is a real woman. She's a real woman. I picked her up and I, and I kissed that knee and the kid stopped crying. That little girl stopped crying. The face of a child. You know, that kid didn't say, wait a minute, you got a license to practice medicine? Wait a minute, is this, is this Blue Cross or is this, uh, is this disease free or what? She didn't care. All she needed was someone to care. 
All she needed was someone to touch her and hold her. And that's the faith of a child. And that's the faith I had to have. The faith. When you touched me and held me and, and did for things for me. The faith God gives you to give to me through your example of life. The faith of a child. And that's the faith that I had to have before I could go into that third step. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Follow the directions. Follow the directions. Here's what I know about men. They don't get it too quick. That's what I know about men. Oh, not that, honey. I'm talking about the program. I'm talking about the program. What's the matter with this girl? What a girl. I don't get this girl. See, I do a lot of work. I do a lot of work with this thing over here. And I get these guys and I say, all right, all right, here's the directions. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Nope, I got it. Now, do it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Did you do it? Uh-huh. I didn't understand it. And understand it. Understanding is not a requirement, you know. It's it's like a, it's like a making a pineapple upside down cake. These are the directions for a pineapple upside down cake. You got it? Uh-huh. Oh yeah, no, I got it now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But but if you make it upside down, then the top is no, 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 no. Just just follow these directions. That's all you gotta do. Got it? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got it. I'm ready. I got the paper. I got pencil. Uh-huh. Okay, do it. Well, yeah, but then the top is on the bottom and the bottom is the side. Just put the spot on our paper. Just do it. Just do it. That's all you got to do. And when they follow the directions and they turn out this big, beautiful, upside-down cake, you know what they do with it? Pass it on. Pass it on. Ever get the taper mad at you, man? <laughs> Come out like Donald Duck. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> to Chicago. Not going to hang around with these guys. New decision, new direction. Going to go on with these guys. So I pick myself, brush myself off. I step out the door. I'm not going to weddings. I'm not going to funerals. I'm not going to birthday parties. I'm not going to picnics. I'm not going here. I'm not going there. I built this great big wall to keep you out. Little did I know I built a prison to keep me in. I had absolutely no idea. I shut off all relationships and shut off all communication. I withdrew into my own home. I had a prison right there. Right in my own home. Right in my own home. I was captive inside that. I, 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 things, things started to get bad for me. I mean, things like bad like I never knew. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, I would get up at six o'clock in the morning and I'd sit on the side of my bed and I would be afraid to walk out the door. I would be afraid to walk out the door. Now, I've been in enough lockups and enough jitter joints and enough puzzle shops that, that when you're sitting in one of these places and you see a guy and he's sitting there and he starts doing this stuff, this rocking business, and it ain't, ain't in a rocking chair, you know. He's just sitting here and he starts just rocking. He'll add syllables. <laughs> this guy is gone. See, when you see a guy like that, you right, honey? When you see a guy in a joint like that, you give this guy a lot of room. You know what I mean? 
Because he's going to do something to himself. Pretty soon, you fool around with him, he's going to do something to you. They have a clinical name for this, and I read it in the Reader's Digest. It's called a uh, disgruntled poster workers and pistols and doing stuff like that. Every one of them sitting there doing this before they do that stuff. And now here I am at 6 o'clock in the morning sitting on the side of my bed, and I'm doing this rocking business and rocking business, and I hear myself doing this. Oh, my God. You want to know the worst part of it? Want to know the worst part of it? I know I'm doing it. And I can't stop it from happening. I, have, I haven't got sufficient force to reach inside myself to pull up the courage or the fortitude or the, or the whatever it is that I need to stop the insanity from consuming me. I don't have it no more. I don't have it. I don't have it. This fear has got me paralyzed in a position where I'm immobile. You see, fear has always done, and this is one of the good things about an inventory. This is one of the good things. I have found out that when I get frightened, I get violent. When I get frightened, I get violent. Now, you can make me count to ten. You can stand me in the corner. You can hold your breath. You can tie a rubber band on your thing when you get... Just snap the rubber band. That's all you got. You can do all of that stuff that you want to do. But if you remove the fear, the violence dies a natural death. Fear. This fear now that has always made me violent has now got me paralyzed. I'm absolutely, I'm afraid to walk out the door. I'm, afraid, I'm just paralyzed with this fear and I can't, I can't stop this from happening to me and I don't know what to do. You want to know that this is a nice thing. This is a nice thing, this big book. You really should read it. I recommend it highly. This is a, this is a very nice book over here. That's right. And I'll tell you what. Do you know why they wrote this book? This is a, this is a fact. So that you wouldn't have to make up your own program. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't lie to you. Well, well, yeah, I would, but not about this, but not about this. Here's what it says about fear. Here's what it says. They know alcoholics have fear. They say it's an evil and corroding thread. They say the fabric of our existence is shot through and through with it. They say that it sets into motion trains of misfortune, circumstances of misfortune that we feel we don't deserve. The hell does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but listen to this. I went to buy a car. <laughs> I went to buy a car, a Chevy Malibu. <laughs> or a Caprice, maybe. I don't know what. But it was black. It was black. It was a black Chevy. And I got this guy down to 1750 bucks. Good deal. Confident. Cocky. Cocky. Yeah, I ain't mad. I'll let you have it. Take that thing off and put this on. What about the tire? We all agreed to everything. And I said to this guy, I'll let you know tomorrow. Anything wrong with your story so far? So I wake up the next day and I decide I don't want the car. Anything wrong with your story so far? So I say, I say, hey, call a guy up, tell him we don't want the car. What does she say? Yeah, you call. Call the guy up, tell him we don't want the car. What does she say? Why can't you just do one thing that I asked you to do? Just call the guy up and hang out and we don't want the car. Why is everything got to be a big, big deal with you? <laughs> What's the problem here? 
I am afraid to call the car dealer. If I wasn't, I would call the car dealer. I have set into motion trains of circumstances of misfortune that I don't feel. One of us is going to be sleeping on the couch that night without, without covers. One of us is going to be sleeping. There. And there I am on the couch. <laughs> saying to myself, it's got to be her fault. I didn't do nothing. I don't know why she can't just for what's the problem here. Just that fear. And that's the benefit. That's the freedom of working in inventory. When I start to review my fears and put them down on paper and I ask myself why I have them. You want to know why I'm afraid to call that car dealer? Well, so do I. And so do I. You damn right I do. But here's what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, and it says it on the very next line. It don't wait three paragraphs, because I'd have forgot the whole thing had it said that long. The very next line, it says, we have these fears because self-sufficiency doesn't go far enough. And that's why I have every fear that I have, because I'm trying to conquer it on my own. And here's what it says to do with this fear. It says we ask God to remove this fear. Is that it? No. It says, we ask him to direct our thinking to what he would have us be. Can it be that simple? Can this program of Alcoholics Anonymous be that simple? You betcha. Because the very next line is this. At once we commence to outgrow fear. I hear things in Alcoholics Anonymous that give me the shivers. Give me the shivers. Don't work the steps for a year. No major decisions for a year. I mean, they pull this out of somewhere. I don't know where they pull it out of. It's got no foundation in anything I read or anything that I see. They pull it out. No sex for a year. No, no, don't sponsor for a year. What the, what's the year? What is this? If I could stay sober a year, why would I want to work the steps? If I got a piece of advice for you that's got a tiny, little, little, tiny, little bit of foundation, it would be, it would be no resentments for the first year. <laughs> and why might that be, you're saying to yourself? Because it's the number one offender. It sends more alcoholics back to drinking than anything. A lot worse than getting, than sex. A lot worse than than anything else I could possibly am- and, if, and if no sex for the first year is good then no sex for the first 17 is better huh? huh? oh stupid well if no resentment for the first year is good then no resentment for the first 17 years is better makes sense don't it absolutely makes sense see I didn't have no sex for they told me that no sex I didn't have it for the first two years I was in Alcoholics Anonymous well, of course, I was in prison, but 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 I didn't have nothing. And you want to know what I found out? You want to know what I found out? Is that when I did have sex, I was just as selfish and dishonest and self-centered and hurting people as I'd always been. Abstinence doesn't make me stronger than anything. The power of God and changing my life and my direction is what gives me the ability not to hurt other people. That's the big thing. That's the big thing. I got off on a rocket over here. I, I didn't mean to get into that. Uh, 
You know, there's a lot of common threads that every alcoholic in this room shares, and one of them is loneliness. One of them is loneliness. A common thread that all alcoholics share, whether you're chronic or, or potential. These are all threads that we all have. And, and when I talk to you about loneliness, it's a different kind of loneliness than anything I've ever experienced. You see, I would get out of that house and I would be, go to work and I'd be sick and shaken. And, 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 and the first day and the second day I'd feel a little bit better. And on the third day I'm back in the saddle again. I'm scarfing six sandwiches at break time. Man, I'm drinking. I'm in good shape. I'm throwing them 100-pound bags. I was working on the docks like I was like there was balls of cotton. I'm into that. Man, I'm feeling just good as could be, man. And I'm 25 after 3 and I got my time clock in my hand. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go home so I'm going to home. I'm going to fix something, paint something, nail something. I'm going to paint that cupboard. That pole, I stole out of that Pollock's garage while he was bowling. Man, I hit that time clock at 3.30 and I get in my car and I'm driving up 55th and I pass Broadway and I turn in the alley behind Western Auto and I walk in the Hub Cafe and I order a shooter and I throw that shooter down and I'm telling you I never gave it a thought. I'm telling you that I do not have enough power to, sufficient enough to say no when, that, when the urge to take the drink comes. And when I take a drink, I already told you what happens to the alcoholic, the phenomenon of craving. And there there is absolutely no way you could have got me out of that bar. With a nuclear warhead, you couldn't have got me out of that beer joint. I'm in, and it's as simple as that. And I drink for an hour, I drink for two hours, I drink for three hours, and then, and then, and then I, I, I'll, I'll be standing there looking around the bar, and I ain't got no friends in here. They're all up the street having a good time. I'm down here. My sponsor calls that melancholy. <laughs> Big Bull calls it self-pity. I don't care what you call it. I got a double super dose of it. Man, I'm wowing in that. What about it, man? I'm, oh, God, I see them guys. And I do my little Broadway thing. I go up to the Tremend Lounge, and I walk in the Tremend Lounge, and I throw open the, the doors of the Tremend Lounge. There's 75 guys in there, and I went to school with 50 of them. I went to grade school with 25 of them. These are the best friends I've ever had in my life. Guys that shed their blood for me and I for them. See, I'm a neighborhood guy. I live five houses from where I was born. I, I'm a neighborhood guy. These guys, we grew up together. We did everything together. And I look at these friends that have, that have supplied me with everything I've ever needed in my life and I'm all alone. The loneliness of an alcoholic all alone in a room full of people. Well, when you hear somebody say they don't want to go home or they're not happy at home or things are bad at home, they're alcoholics. It's not that they don't love us, it's we can't love them. I would love to love them, but I can't. It's like we have a callus on our hearts, or even a callus on our souls, and we can't feel the warmth and the joy that they have for us. We can't feel anything at all except this self-pity and this remorse. There's two kinds of drunks nobody likes, fighting drunks and weeping drunks, and I... I spent my whole life being a fighting drunk, and now here I am, hanging on some guy. Oh, no, my Snotting all over this guy's arm. He, he knows me as a fighting drunk, so he ain't popping me a good one, you know, but there I am. You want to know the worst part of this story? I don't black out. I wake up the next day, and I remember this disgusting, humiliating experience of manhood. <clears throat> This big book got another line in it. It says, there's things we do on these drunks that we want to tuck far away so the sunlight is never shown upon it. That's what we look for. This is one of them things, man. I don't want to see these things. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. Absolutely worse. You know, I never had a lot going for me. I mean, I never had a lot of money, a lot of skill, a lot of talent, a lot of good looks, but I always had a lot of hope. A lot of hope. 
I remember when I was 14 years old, I'd gather up the eight and nine-year-olds and put them on my football team and would challenge the 15-year-olds. Come on, line up. I'm telling you, we can do it. Let's go. We can do it. Filled with hope. Filled with hope. Walk I was 21 years old. I walked into Wishing Well up on 79th and Broadway. Guy stopped me at the door. He said, Millie, don't go back there. He said, there's 50 guys back there that are going to beat the snot out of you. Man, I threw my coat off and I flew back there. And they did. And they did. <laughs> But I had hope. <laughs> I have no brains. <laughs> but I had hope. I had hope. Now I'm 24 years old. I'm 24 years old and I'm hopeless. I'm 24 years old and I ain't got no light at the end of the tunnel. Ain't nothing left in me that wants to keep going on because I can't stand the pain. I can't stop crying and I can't stop being afraid and I can't stop being lonely. I just can't stop the pain. And I'll tell you, it would have been an absolute pleasure had somebody come off the corner and just blowed the back of my head off because it just hurt too much to breathe. You know, there ain't no mercy in a bottle of whiskey. Want to know what I know? This is what I know. There ain't no mercy in a bottle of whiskey. It don't stop hurting you until you're dead. It don't stop taking from you until you suck your last breath it ain't going to stop hurting until you can't breathe no more. That's alcoholism. There ain't no mercy in a bottle of whiskey. And this is what I know from sponsorship. You want to know what I know from sponsorship? This is what I know. After you're dead, whiskey ain't done. Alcoholism ain't done. It wants your kids. It wants the fear and the tears and the loneliness and the despair that you put inside them so that when they take that first one, This is a wonderful thing. I wonder why my old man was so crazy when he drank it. See, here's what I know about my alcoholism. I love my old man, but I hated his drunkenness. And you give me a drink, and I fall in love with the things I hate and hate the things I love. I stand before a judge in April of May in 1970. The judge pulls on that thing. He says, I find you shooting with intent to kill on an officer of the law. And I sentence you to one to twenty years. And I'm standing before that guy and they're putting these things on and all of these things on. And I'm looking at that guy. And you know what? I don't even hurt. I have been living in so much pain on a daily basis, hopelessness and despair on a daily basis, that that guy cannot give me any more pain. I mean, what's that guy going to do to me? Take away my freedom? I've been locked up inside a bottle of whiskey. and it's, you, couldn't, you couldn't hurt me no more than I've already been hurt. What are you as members of society going to do to me? You're going to take away my loved ones? Selfish people don't love, they use. What could you possibly give me that alcoholism and my own selfishness hadn't already taken from me? You couldn't hurt me no more. And it's a terrible condition for a human being with a soul to be in. But that's just the condition alcoholics get in. And they put me in the, pen, in, the, in the county jail and I sobered up in that county jail. And I sobered up in that county jail because the day before I went to court, the guys had a going away party for me. Like I was leaving for Penn State instead of the state pen. They, they had a going away party for me. I sobered up in that cell and you already know the condition I'm in. You already know the mental and physical condition I'm in. I sober up in that cell and as I sober up, two things come clear to me. Two things come clear to me that have never come clear to me before. And the first thing is this. I ain't in this cell because I squeezed the trigger. I'm in this cell because I drank. If I hadn't a drank, I wouldn't have squeezed the trigger. You know, I never got that in all those years. I never got drink trouble, drink trouble, drink trouble. I never 
Got it. That day in that cell, I got it. And the second thing I got sitting in that cell was this. That I can't stop drinking. And that means if I do one, five, ten, or the whole twenty, when I get out of here, I'm going to drink again. And when I drink again, I'm going to come back again. And I'll tell you what I got. I got my whole life right here in my hands, and I don't like what I see. See, I don't mind taking a beating. I, I really don't mind taking a beating. But you ain't going to beat me up forever. Not forever you won't. I don't even mind being a loser. But not forever. In that day, in that cell, I knew it was forever. There's a magic line in this big book, and it might only be magic for me. But it says this. It says, there are those who make the supreme sacrifice rather than fight again. And that day in that cell, there was no more fight in me. That day in that cell, just like many other drunks in many other cells, they take their underwears and they string themselves up or they go out the window or they go over a bridge or they eat or something. They do all of that stuff rather than fight again. And that day in that cell, I knew that this pain was going to be forever and not forever. I did something in that cell that was, that was more against my nature than suicide, more against my will, I suppose, than taking my own life. And I say it's the toughest thing I've ever done in my entire entire life and it's called surrender total surrender I cannot do this somebody help me help me you see this male pride this male pride this male pride is a it's a deadly thing male pride uh, a lot of my friends have gone to the penitentiaries for killing guys just because their pride was injured. A lot of guys have, have been killed because they injured other people's pride. I got in a gunfight up on 55th and, 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 and didn't bring a gun. <laughs> it's funny now. <laughs> but when the smoke had cleared, I had one in this arm and it's still in there. It went right up the bone. They can't even take it out. But at that time, this arm was paralyzed. And I caught another one here and here, one through the head over here, and, 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 and it was dripping blood in my eye, and I'm trying to get out the door, and I can't move this arm, and I finally got out the door, and I, and I got outside, and it was a beautiful night in October, just, just like this night here, beautiful moon, I mean, just a beautiful, and I'm in, and, and I know something, that I'm in, I'm in serious trouble, because <laughs> I'm losing a lot of blood, <laughs> and, and the hospital is 18 blocks away, and I ain't got no car. And I'm telling you this story because my life, depended on asking someone for help. And I would rather have died first. Would rather have died than ask someone for help. So in this when I tell you the story about being in the cell and surrendering and asking for help, you must notice that my pain was greater than my pride. And my pride is deadly. You must know that. You must know that. I'll tell you what I know about God. You want to know what I know about God? This is what I know about God. When you give it up, He shows up. There ain't no three-day waiting period. It's just, it is just as simple as that. When I give it up, He shows up, and there ain't no... Th- I believe God had been at the door of my heart, just knocking all those years. What do I need God for? I'm doing all right running my own life. What the... What do I even need you for? What do I need you for? And whiskey is a great persuader. And it's at this time in my life I am convinced of being. <laughs> no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism because if I can't, no one can. And that day in that cell I surrendered. And here's what I know about God. In that moment of total surrender, he sends me a messenger. 
He sends me a messenger. And that's all I am for you tonight is a messenger. I am not the message. I am nothing but a, a, a delivery boy, like a pizza guy. Boy, that's all I'm doing. That's it. I'm giving it to you. You do what you want. Eat it, throw it, put it under the car. I don't care what you do with it. That's all I'm supposed to do is deliver it to you. You see, I ain't your God. I ain't even my God. And I won't let you make me your God. You see, my sponsor refused to be my God. I wanted him so hard to be my God. What should I do, Tommy? Tell me what I should do now, Tommy. What's next, Tommy? I got to do this, Tommy. What about this, Tommy? What about that? And no matter what the problem was that I would take to my sponsor, my sponsor would always give me this answer. Sit quietly and listen. God will speak to you. (laughs) Sit quietly and listen. God will speak to you. We should write that in a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Prayer and meditation. We should do that. Is that in there? It's in his. I like this guy. (laughs) So now I got the message Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm sitting in that cell and there's a guy two bunks away from me talking to another guy about a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. And he's telling this guy, he tells this guy, he said, man, if you've ever been busted for DWI, drunken disorder, or public intox, join a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was close enough to listen. See, he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to this other guy, but I was close enough to hear the message. Alcoholics Anonymous, and I believed it. Now, you got to notice, I ain't never been to an AA meeting. I ain't never heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. No one has ever talked to me about Alcoholics Anonymous. This is what I know. That guy told that guy, and I believed it. Now, I'm not about to tell you that one day I was so dumb I couldn't get out of a phone booth, and the next day I got a solution to the biggest problem I've ever had in my life. It's not intelligence. It's grace. It's not intelligence It's grace. And you want to know how I know it's grace? Because the guy that's doing the talking about Alcoholics Anonymous had been in Alcoholics Anonymous, went out and got drunk and shot a guy to death in a phone booth. He's facing murder one, and the chair was still operable then. There is no reason for me to believe that guy, because in a very short time, he's going to be a McNugget. There's no reason for me to believe that guy. If it ain't for the grace, and it's as simple as that, isn't it? It ain't for the grace. God gives me the grace to believe the truth, even if it comes from the mouth of a liar. I got the message, Alcoholics Anonymous. And you got the message, Alcoholics Anonymous. And you want to know how I know you got the message, Alcoholics Anonymous? I gave it to you. I get down to the penitentiary. How are we doing? What are we doing? Five minutes. Can you hold a dance for five minutes? No? <laughs> I get down to the penitentiary and I join Alcoholics Anonymous. But wait, 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 wait. I go to an AA meeting. It's two different things. It's two different things. You know what I mean? I mean, if I'm going to join AA, i got to do something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if I take this chair and put it in a chicken coop sit in the chair, ain't nobody going to say, man, look at that chicken, huh? If I'm going to be a chicken, i got to do something, right? And I can sit in this chair and moss grows on the north side of my body, but if I don't do something, I ain't a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I go to my first meeting and I get in the back of the room and sit in the back so against the wall so no one can sneak up behind me. I got this look on my face, Jimmy Cagney, a lot of you old guys remember Jimmy Cagney. 
sit in the back of the room and the guy gets up and he starts to talk. I think they commonly refer to it now as an attitude problem. I'm not quite sure. But I'll tell you this much. This is what I know. The biggest, meanest, baddest guys in the valley are usually the most afraid. And I know that because I was frightened in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't have enough honesty nor enough humility to say, I am frightened. Could you explain this to me? In my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, a guy got up and he told a story and he never once talked about drunkenness. All he talked about was alcoholism. He talked about loneliness and pain and fear, hopelessness. He talked about the horror of living your life with no light at the end of the tunnel. That guy talked about the secrets that I had wrapped inside up in my guts that I didn't think anybody else on the face of earth knew. He talked about the things I could never tell anybody. And he saved my life. He shared his experiences and his strengths and he gave me back my hope. One drunk talking to another. One drunk. And I tell you, I sat in that chair and now I'm up and I'm all four legs and I'm listening to this guy because no one knew about these things. He's telling his story and it's my story. He gave me back my hope. I felt it happen. I felt it happen. I felt the flicker of hope in my heart, in my very soul, if you will. I felt it happen. Somebody understands what's wrong with me. And that's why they start the big book, one drunk talking to another, Bill talking to you and me. That's us. That's us. And when that meeting was over, I know you might not believe this, but I used to be a very excitable guy. When that, when that meeting was over, when that meeting was over, I, I was excited and I didn't know what to do, so I reached over and I grabbed an ashtray and I emptied it. <laughs> I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for my first meeting because I did some. I got busy and I stay busy and I know how to stay sober. I stay busy. In the second meeting, I set the chairs up. In the third meeting, I knocked the tables down. In the fourth meeting, I got coffee duty. <laughs> and it wasn't like plugging the pot in, but I don't put the grounds in. The coffee was across the yard in the officer's dining room. You go see that movie, Shawshank Redemption. The movie might suck, but that's the prison I was in. They're going to give you a long shot of the dining hall. Why? That's from where they shot the shot to where the dining hall is, is where the Mary A meeting was to where I carried the coffee from. And that coffee was in a 15-gallon soup pot. I used to grab that soup pot like that kung fu guy. I wrap my arms around that pot and I'd be carrying that pot. All the way across the yard and up to that meeting. Now, I'm not about to insult your intelligence until you can stay sober on coffee cups and ashtrays. Nah. And I'm about to tell you this, I bought enough time. I bought enough time with good works and unselfish acts. That's why sponsors tell you, grab this, do this, grab this, do this. Go over here, shake your hand, pick up an ass, do this, and do that. I bought enough time with good works and unselfish acts until I could work the steps. Steps. Went to these meetings and they said the stupidest stuff I ever heard in my life. Really, I mean, really. Listen to this. Did you ever hear this? Did they say this down here? If you want to keep it, give it away. Doesn't that just sound... I mean, really, isn't that just the dumbest thing you ever heard? If you got two bucks and want to keep it, give it to someone. What the hell? That don't even make any sense. As dumb as that might sound, it sure works. I, I, it's alcoholic arithmetic. That's the only way I can figure it, is we add different in AA and they add up out into the world. That's all I know for sure. I went to these meetings and they started talking about the book. Read the book. Get the book. It's in the book. Get the book. Read the book. The book. The book. The book. 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 I ain't got no book. Book. 
I did not get my first big book of Alcoholics Anonymous from the library. No one gave me my first big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I did not buy my first big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. How did I get my first book? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You're that guy from the outside come walking in. He had a big book. He seen somebody new. He put it down. Now I got the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in my hot little hand. I'll tell you one secret about the big book. You can have 18 of them. You don't read it, don't do you? No good. No good at all. No good at all. Got back to my rack and opened up the book. I'm ready. I got the book. It's in the book. Get the book. Read the book. I got the book. The war was running rampant in the New England town. Turn the page. I forgot what I read. Turn the page back. I was walking through Winchester Cathedral. Turn the page. I forgot what I read. I turned the page. It's a grenadier, muskets and pots. What the? Get the kid out of here. This don't even make no sense. I mean, it would make no sense. You see, this is not recreational reading. It's like a textbook. You know what I mean? It's meant to be read and studied. Read like a textbook. You know what I'm trying to say to you? You know what I'm trying to say? That's all I'm trying to say to you is I had no retention. I had no, I had no understanding. I had nothing. But I just kept reading it and over and over and over and over. And, over. and that's all I do and I still read it today. I still read it today. And if you're sitting in this room you don't understand what's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous... In the right room. You're in, you're, you're, in, you're in the right room. You're in the right room. And my kids, my kids, shit, I wish the guys I sponsored was as smart as my kids. Because when my kids read a book, they don't understand it. You know what they do? They get a tutor. Someone who has read the, the book that they're interested in and is willing to impart upon them the knowledge that they have gathered there from forward in that book. That's what they do. So I'm saying this to you. If you have read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and do not understand it, get a tutor. Get someone who has read this big book and is willing to impart upon you the knowledge that they have gathered there from forward in this book. Usually a sponsor. Usually a sponsor. It's in the book. It's in the book. So if you're sitting in this room, you new guys, guys a week, two weeks, six weeks, whatever you got, and you ain't got no big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you, you, ain't, you ain't got no money to buy one, you, you ain't got no, you ain't, your pride is so great you won't, you won't ask nobody for one, what should you do? Don't you dare steal a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you get a job and buy one, this is not the penitentiary, what is the matter with you? That's why it all comes down the river, that's exactly what. was a little girl who entered, went to Europe, and while she was in Europe, she was visiting all the cathedrals, and as she was going through the cathedrals, she asked the guy who the people were in the stained glass windows of those cathedrals, and the guy told her those were the saints on those stained glass windows. And when she got home and everybody asked that little girl what she'd seen while she was in Europe, she says, I've seen the saints. And when they asked her who the saints were, this little girl in her innocence, she says, the saints are the ones that let the light in. And I say this to you in my innocence, and man, I got it. I got it. You people in this room and Alcoholics Anonymous throughout and particularly at the Newber Group let the light in for me. All that I have and all that I am and all that I ever hope to be I got from you guys 24 years and one month and 22 days ago. And if you were to ask me, if you were to ask me, what's this AA about, man? What is this? What's this all about? You know what I would tell you? Alcoholics Anonymous is nothing more than love. Nothing. I'll give you a ride, I'll shake your hand, I'll buy you a cup of coffee, I'll do this, I'll sit with you, I'll talk with you. It's nothing more than love. That's all it is. That's all it is. 
And I know two things about love, and maybe not much more. And maybe not much more. And the first one is this, is that if I love you, I will not hurt you. And if I love you, I will be your servant. And I thank you for allowing me to serve you tonight. God bless you. Happy anniversary.